Wonderful. How many of you brought your Bible with you this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And I want to ask you to join me, if you will, this morning on page number 1,292 or the book of Hebrews, chapter number 2 this morning. All right, 1,292 if you have an old Schofield Bible or the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. If you don't, kind of toward the end of the Bible, maybe four, five, six books back from the end of the Bible, chapter number 2. While you're finding your place there, having mentioned about the uh, special service on that Wednesday night, if you've had a loved one that has died this year, sometime this year, or maybe in the last year and a half or so, but if you have a, have a loved one that has passed away, we want to do something to honor uh, all of the people that have passed away in our church family over the last year, year and a half, couple of years, whatever. If you'll bring me a picture, but bring it to me, but give it to Brother Mark, okay? Because I'll lose it. But if you'll bring him a picture, just give it to him, and we're going to do something special on that Wednesday night as a tribute uh, to honor those who have died in the last couple of years here in our church. So if you'd like to do that, please uh, feel free to bring him a picture. All right? Hebrews chapter number 2. If you're there, would you say amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. You know, as we all know, over these last several weeks and going forward, that people have, or now, are putting up a tree, they're buying gifts, they're meeting with family, they're looking at lights, and they're listening to music, and they will totally and completely miss what Christmas is all about. In fact, you know, to many, acknowledging Jesus, the real reason for Christmas, will actually mess up their celebration of Christmas. I heard about these two women who went out to this very expensive restaurant and they were enjoying, enjoying this very lavish kind of a meal. And it was obvious that, obvious that they were celebrating some kind of a special occasion. So the, the waitress went by and she looked at them and she said, what's the event, what's the occasion that you ladies are celebrating? And one of the ladies spoke up and said, we are celebrating my baby's birthday. Well, the waitress looked around, she didn't see any baby and she said, but where's the baby? The lady said, you didn't think we'd bring the baby, did you? He would mess up the whole celebration. And that's the way a lot of people, whether we like to admit it or not, that's the way a lot of people view the celebration of Christmas. They'll celebrate Christmas all right, but they won't invite the guest of honor because if he shows up, he will mess up their celebration. Well, last week I began a very short series of messages uh, uh, regarding Christmas, and I'm calling it Christmas in unusual places. You know, normally when we think about Christmas and, and we think about, you know, where it's at in the Bible, we automatically, our minds default to Matthew chapter 1, chapter 2, or Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, or John chapter 1, and we think about wise men and we think about angels and Mary and Joseph and Herod, and that's our idea of the Christmas story. However, in these weeks, I've been thinking about Christmas in unusual places in the Bible. That's the reason this morning I had you to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Because normally when we think about the Christmas story, we don't think about Hebrews chapter number 2. But we're going to find, I promise you, before we get through with this text this morning, we're going to find the Christmas story. But please do this. Think back to last week. Because last week we looked in an unusual place for the Christmas story, and that was in the book of Colossians chapter number Number one. And in Colossians chapter 1 last week, I tried to emphasize the importance of the baby that was born in Bethlehem. 
I tried to introduce or to explain to us who that baby really was. Now, as much as I admire the when and the where of Christmas, and as important the when and the where of Christmas really are, those things kind of pale in significance as to the who and the why of the Christmas story. Last week we talked about the who, and I told you last week that little baby born in that manger in Bethlehem was in fact the ruler over the creation. He was in fact the leader of the church, and he he was, in fact, the Savior for the Christian, the who of Christmas. But this morning in Hebrews chapter 2, I want to talk a little bit about the why of Christmas. Why did that baby become born in Bethlehem? Or maybe I should say it like this. Why did the who come where and when he came? Well, let's stop this morning and let's talk about that. And let me read to you four verses from the book of Hebrews. And believe it or not, what I'm reading to you is the Christmas story. So let's begin now in Hebrews chapter 2 and look at verse number 6. The Bible said this, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visiteth him? Thou madest him, speaking about man, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the work of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but... We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, believe it or not, you're probably scratching your head, but believe it or not, right there, minus the, the angels, minus the wise men, minus Mary and Joseph and Herod, what we have there is the entire Christmas story. Now, I'm talking about why the who came to be born in Bethlehem. Why did he come? Well, I can sum up my whole message this morning in one word, and probably some of you wish I would, but uh, the whole reason that Jesus came was for you. It was for me. The whole reason that Jesus came was for mankind. And I want to show you from this text this morning three great truths regarding the babe of Bethlehem and mankind. All right? Let's look at this together. Let's begin now in verse number 6. And let me talk about this. Number one, I want to talk about man crowned with glory. Man crowned with glory. Now look at verse 6. But one in a certain place testified saying. Now right up front what we've got here is somebody's testimony. They, uh, Paul calls it one in a certain place. Now, we know who the one in a certain place was who testified, gave this testimony. It was none other than David, little David. Remember the story of David in the Bible? Boy, it plays a, a, a significant part. The second most mentioned person in all of the Bible, King David. Well, King David is the one who said what Paul is about to quote here in this text in the book of Hebrews. Now, it's a, it's a direct 
direct quote from the book of Psalms, chapter number 8. Now, that's important for this reason. Most people think David wrote Psalms 8 immediately after his battle with Goliath. Now, you remember that. How many of y'all remember the story of David and Goliath? Boy, if you know the Bible, know anything about it, you probably know Jonah and the whale, and you probably got it down pretty good about David and Goliath. There is little David going down to visit his brothers with some snacks, and, and there when he arrives, there's all the men of Israel hid out on this side of the valley, scared to death, shaking in their boots, hid in caves and den and behind rocks and trees, because on the other side of the valley is a great big giant and the armies of the Philistines. And here comes this giant out day after day, cussing God and defying the nation of Israel and throwing rocks and daring anybody to come out and to fight with him. Remember the story? And there is little David bringing those snacks. There comes that giant out from the other side cussing and kicking dirt, throwing rocks. And David said, I'll be the one to go down and fight with the battle. Oh, Saul puts his his uh, his, uh, his sword and, and, his, and his armor uh, on him and his helmet on him and, and sends David away. And David said, man, I'm not, I'm not swords and shields. I'm slings and stones. And David stops by the brook, gets the five little stones, smooth stones out of the brook, goes down in the valley, fights with Goliath, and God gives David a great victory in the valley of Elah. Sometime later now, David back at home watching those sheep after that that great battle. David is laying out uh, under the skies one night and he looks up and he begins to imagine all the stars and the galaxies and the universes and he can't even begin to think of how the God that is so big and so mighty that he made all of that would stoop to help one little boy down in the valley of Elah. David is overcome by the fact that God had visited him. Amen. Let me give you what David said about this back in Psalms chapter number 8. Here's what David said about it. When I consider the work of thy fingers. By the way, can you stop and imagine that? I mean, everything that you see. Now, I've got an app on my phone, and I got it out last night, and I was kind of looking around a little bit, and I hit the sun. Now, the sun was way down, but when I hit the sun and I clicked on it, it said you could put one million of our earths inside of the sun. Now, I'm going to tell you something, that's pretty big. Amen. And you think about it, God did all of that. And then David said it was, that, it was this, it was the work of his fingers. Now, buddy, if, that's, if all of that's the work of his fingers, what could he do with an arm? Amen. I'm talking about a big old God. And David said, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, David goes on to say this, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited him? David was just overcome by the fact that a God who was so big, so mighty, so vast, so powerful that he could make all of that would have anything to do with such an insignificant little boy like he really was. Well, I want to tell you something, friend. I'm telling you, God has been good to man. And David was so moved by that that he got to thinking to himself, you know something? People are more important than planets. Souls are more important than stars. 
And us, we're more important than this universe. In fact, can I tell you this? Out of all that God did with the stars and the moons and the galaxies and the planets out yonder, did you know God only took five words to tell us about all of it? Here's the words, the five words, Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. Here's the five words that God used to sum up everything he did in the space. He made the stars also. And that's all he said about it. He made the stars also. But aren't you glad when it comes to people like you and people like me, as small and as insignificant as we are compared to all of that, aren't you glad there's a God out yonder somewhere that's interested and invested in our lives? What a great God we serve. And then David said this, if you look there at verse number 7, that he crowned us with glory and honor. David said he made us a little lower than the angels. Now you've got to understand that God has an order in creation. You've got to understand that order, this won't make any sense to you. So here's God's order in creation. First of all, foremost of all, there's God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. By the way, it's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the... They're all three co-equal and co-existent and co-eternal together. There's God. Right under God, there's angels. And God made the angels. I don't know how many they are. The Bible said there's an innumerable company of angels. We know they break off into branches. There's some seraphim angels. There's some cherubim angels. There's principalities and powers and thrones and dominions. There's rank and order among the angels. So there's God, there's angels, and then right underneath the angels is humanity. Humanity. We are lower than the angels. And then guess what? Underneath us, there's the beast, the animals, the cows and the dogs and the cats. And then under them is plant life. And then under the plant life is what I would call cootie life or microscopic little things that you can't see with the, the naked eye. And that's God's order. God, angels, man, animals, plants, and microscopic things. That's God's order of creation. Now we're told in this text that when God created man that he created us lower than the angels. But here's what amazes me. When we get saved, God in position and in possession elevates us above the angels. A miracle. In fact, the Bible even said this one of these days, those of us that are saved are going to judge the angels. Amen. God crowned us with glory. Let me show you this. Look in this text. Look at verse number 7. Notice, if you will, God has a word about our design. Notice in verse number 7, Thou madest him. How did we get here? I'll tell you how we got here. God made us. Hey, listen, you hear me and hear me well. We're not some accident of evolution. Hey, we've just not moved up on some evolutionary scale. We were not just a frog when we began to begin, then a tadpole with our tail tucked in, then a monkey swinging from a high tree, but now we're doctors with PhDs. Hey, that's not how we got here. I'll tell you how we got here. God made us. 
Amen. The Lord, the Bible said, Thou madest him. And by the way, when God created us, God, Genesis 2, 7, breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Hey, that's Genesis 2, 7. Can I tell you something? What makes you so important to God is you got a soul, friend. Now, you understand, hear me and hear me well. We're not a body that just happens to have a soul. We're a soul that just happens to have a body. The most important part of us is not what we see. No, sir. The most important part of us is not what we pamper. I got up this morning and I shaved and I put a little deodorant on. I brushed my teeth. I even combed my hair. No, you can't tell it. But I combed my hair. I pampered. I fixed myself up. But I'll tell you something, this part of me is dying. I got a birthday coming next week. Might want to write that down so you can get me something. I'm getting old. I have grown up and grown old right before your very eyes. I came here when I was 33 years old, and now here I am about to turn 58 years old. I've grown up and grown old right before your very eyes. And I am in the process of dying. Now, don't say amen right there. But what makes me so valuable is there's a part of me that's never going to die. That's what makes me so important to God. This old flesh may die, will die one of these days, but there's a part of me that's going to live forever and ever and ever, and that's what makes me so valuable. That's why I'm so loved by Almighty God. In fact, here's what Jesus said about it. Jesus said this, What shall it profit a man? if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul. I want to tell you what makes you so special to God. What makes me so special to God is we've got a soul and God loves us more than he loves anything else that he's ever created. God loves you and me. I told that early service this morning, you could get all the gold in Fort Knox if there's any there when the Democrats get through with it. You could pile it all up right here. You could get all the oil wells in the Gulf of Mexico and Texas, and you could put all that oil right here, all the diamonds out of the diamond mines in Africa, put it all right here, all the rubies, all the pearls, and then put one little old bus kid standing here with a ruddy nose and a green sock and a red sock, a tennis shoe and a bathroom bedman shoe, bed, 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 batman bedroom shoe and put him right here and say, okay, God, which would you rather have? And God would choose the bus kid any day of the week. You know why? He's got a soul. God would choose you, and God would choose me, because we are special, because we're made in the image of God, our design. You're not an accident, friend. God made you. There's a word about our design. Notice number two, there's a word about our dignity. Look again at verse number seven. The Bible said that in verse, I'm sorry, verse number six, God made us, but in verse six, God said that he visits us. Is that not amazing that God would visit us? I mean, you think about what you've done, where you've been, some of the things you've said. Okay, you say, well, I'm doing pretty good with that. All right, think about some of the thoughts you had, Bubba. I mean, you think about all that. If I were God, I'd unplug himself from me. I wouldn't have anything else to do with me. But I'm glad I can tell you every once in a while God will pay a visit to me. 
Can I tell you something? If you're saved sitting in this room this morning, the reason you're saved is because God paid a visit to you one day. And I tell you, even after we get saved, he keeps on visiting us. And every once in a while, God will pay me a visit. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visited him? I pray he'll visit somebody here in this auditorium this morning. I pray he'll visit us today here at Woodland Baptist Church. I mean, you stop and think about it. In God's sight, we're nothing more than an ant floating on a piece of broken seaweed in the middle of the turbulent Atlantic Ocean. We're nothing. And yet God said, I love you and I'll visit you. Hallelujah. That's our dignity. But not only does he have a word about our dignity and our design. Look again at verse 7. He has a word about our dominion. In other words, the Bible said there in verse number 7 that when God created us, He crowned us with, with, with glory. Now, can I stop and say this? All of my life, I've been in church almost all my life. In fact, all of my life, to be honest with you. And I've heard preachers say this over and over and over again, but it's not in the Bible. But they say this, man is God's crown jewel of His creation. Now, that phrase crown jewel of his creation is not found in the Bible. But what is found in the Bible is this, that God has crowned us with glory and honor. And then the Bible said that God gave us dominion. He set us over the realm of all of creation. In fact, when God told Adam and Eve this in the garden, here's what he said about it. He said, I want y'all to have dominion, watch this now, over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. In other words, God said, Adam, you're going to rule over all this. You're in charge of my creation. Now, David said this back in the book of Psalms, chapter number 8. He said this, that man should have rule over all the sheep, oxen, yea, the beast of the field, and the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the sea. So here's what God said. All right, I want you to have dominion, have rule over it all. I want you to rule over the fish. I want you to rule over the, the fowl of the air. And I want you to rule over the beast of the field. Now let me tell you something. We don't have that dominion right now. If you don't believe that, go home with me and watch me call my dog and that dog head off in the opposite direction. I ought to be able to speak that dog's name, Pepper, and that dog stop, come right, right. I don't have that. I go feed my chickens. Here, chick, 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 chick. I walk down through there in half time. They don't even come out of the house. They don't care. They ain't listening to me. Something's happened. Now, if you want to see what kind of dominion God intended for us to have, look at Jesus while he was here on this earth. He had dominion over the fish of the sea. In Luke chapter number 5, when they'd been out fishing all night, and Peter said, and Jesus said to Peter, have you taken any fish? No, Lord, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Jesus said, let's get back in the boat and launch out in the deep. Peter said, we have caught nothing, Lord. Did you hear me say we hadn't caught nothing all night long? Nevertheless, if I were, we'll launch out in the deep. And they let down the net. And Jesus said, fishy, 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 fishy. And all the fishes come and jumped in the net so much that they broke the net and had to call the other boats to come help him with him. He had dominion over the fish of the sea. He had dominion over the fowl of the air. Remember when Peter, the night before the crucifixion, Peter said, Lord, I'll not deny you. And Jesus said, I want to tell you before the cock 
the rooster crows thrice, three times. You'll deny me. Oh, Peter said, Lord, not me. He went out that night. He denied the Lord three times. Jesus looked over the rooster and said, hit it, boy. And that rooster said, he had dominion over the fowl of the air. He had dominion over the beast of the field. Right before he was to be crucified, he told old Peter and John, said, go over there and get me a beast. I need something to ride into the city of Jerusalem to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. They went over and got a donkey that had never been ridden. That thing was over there tied up to a pole, kicking its feet, snorting. <laughs> he was snorting, biting at the rope, trying to chew it off. They had a time getting that thing over there. And when Jesus got up on it, it, become a me it became as meek as a little lamb. He had dominion over the beast of the field. Did you know something? God created us to have the same thing. God created you and me and said, okay, you run the show. You have control over it all. He crowned us with glory. But now the Christmas story continues because not only have we been crowned with glory, but I want you to look at the last phrase of verse number 8. Man has been, boom, Charged with guilt. Look at verse 8. But. Now I want to tell you something. That but right there is the but of bad news. We're in trouble. But. God said, I've given you all this dominion. I've made you. You're the work of my fingers. I've visited you. I've given you dominion over all this. But now. But now we see not yet all things put under him. We're in trouble. Something, something has run amok. You see, mankind no longer has the authority, the dominion that God intended for him to have. We no longer are the people that God created us to be. God has created us in his image, but that image has become marred. You say, preacher, what happened? I'm so glad you asked because we had a couple of great-grandparents back in the Garden of Eden that disobeyed God and when they disobeyed God, they fell from the lofty heights of glory to the lowly depths of nudity in the sight of God. And when they sinned against God, they not only drugged themselves into their sin, but all of their descendants, and that's you and me. They drug us. We, we, we took the fall with them. And because of that, everything that God intended for us to have, we no longer have. I mean, our image has become marred in the sight of God. Can I really tell you like this? Let me tell you what we are. We're wrecks. You know I like Jeeps. You know that. I've got four sitting in the driveway. When there are, there's two probably sitting out here in the parking lot this morning. There's more sitting at home. When all my children come to our house for Christmas or Thanksgiving and we defy the orders of the government like we try to do in Christmas and Thanksgiving. But when they all get there, we've got seven Jeeps sitting in our driveway. I am a Jeep man. Can I tell you something? Now, you may not like them. You can be backslid if you want to, and I get all that. But I'm a Jeep man. I really am. Listen, them things will go like a tank when it snows. They really will. They'll run forever. And I hope they don't tear up on the way home. <laughs> they run forever. They look good. They ride rough, but they look. And what if I stood up here and told you all that, and you say, Preacher, I have never seen a Jeep before. I'd like to see one of them Jeeps. So I carry you out to a junkyard, 
where one has been crushed under that heavy machinery. And I show it to you and I say, right there is a Jeep. And you say, that was what you were describing to me? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. God intended for you and me to be Jeeps. But we've been crushed under the weight of our sin. We are not even in the same area code of what God intended for us to be. I mean, the Bible said, but now we see not yet all things put under Him. Can I tell you something, friend? Because of our sin and our disobedience, we become a wreck. I'm looking this morning. Don't be mad at me. I'm looking at a bunch of wrecks. And can I tell you this? You're listening to a wreck. I'm not talking about just a fender bender, a total loss. Our frames have been bent. We're totally lost. We're totally, absolutely ir, irreparable as far as we're concerned. All we're good for is to put in the junk heap of sin and to be left to decay and to rust and to rot. We're charged with guilt. And that goes for every last one of us. There isn't a person in this room that hadn't been affected by sin. We were affected physically. We grow old. We die. We're affected mentally. How many of y'all have been affected, 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 affected mentally because of your sin? You're affected spiritually because of our sin. Every part of us has been affected by our sin. Every one of us. But aren't you glad the story doesn't end there? Because we've been crowned with glory. Something terrible happened. We're charged with guilt. But now we come to Christmas. And because of Christmas, we can be changed by grace. You see, look at this right here in verse number 9. And I love this. It says this. But, that's the but of good news. Now that but in verse 8, verse 8, that's the but of bad news. But the but of verse 9 is the but of good news. Aren't you glad to come to church today to hear about the buts? The but, but we see Jesus. There we are in that terrible shape. But thank God, a baby. Thank God, God left heaven, came into this world, and was born as a babe in Bethlehem. We see Jesus. I heard about this lady. She hadn't been to church a whole lot in her life. And, and uh, she went to church and she thought she was a pretty good moral person and she was all right. She didn't need church, but she went to church and she went on the wrong Sunday because the preacher was preaching about the sinfulness of humanity. And the more he preached, the guiltier she felt until finally, right in the middle of the sermon, she yelled out, if we're as bad as he says we are, God help us. Can I tell you something? That's the message of Christmas. We were so bad, but God helped us. But we see Jesus. By the way, can I say this? If you ever come to Woodland Baptist Church and you don't see Jesus, I owe you an apology because I'm a pretty poor excuse for a preacher. If I let you come over here and not see Jesus... In fact, can I tell you this? If you come to this church today and you put some money in them trash cans, we trash every bit of money we get around here. And you put money in those offering receptacles, 
and you don't see Jesus, you come up here and tell me because we need to give you your money back because we're a poor excuse of what a church ought to be. It's all about seeing Jesus. But we see Jesus. And then it says this, look at verse 9. Who was made a little lower than the angels. Can I tell you something? There's your Christmas. You see, he was God, but he was made lower than the angels. So he became a man. Lower than the angels. It, it blows my mind that the God who created the angels took a step lower than the angels and became a man. That's in the words of John, John 1.14. Here's what John said about it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul said, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. And why did he do that? Why did he come? Why did the ruler of the creation and the leader of the church and the Savior for the... Why did he come? Paul said this in the last phrase of verse 9, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He came into this world, and what he's telling us is this. He willingly, he voluntarily became lower than the angels. He took upon himself the body of a human being, and the whole reason he did all of that was so that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And by the way, that word taste doesn't mean sample. It doesn't mean just have a little, just a little taste. You know, you ever go to the grocery store and maybe they're standing there and they're frying up sausage or trying to get you to buy it and they'll hand you a little toothpick with a piece of sausage on it to give you a taste. We used to have a family in our church. They may still do it. They don't come here no more. But they used to go to Sam's Club and, and eat supper. Honey, am I telling the truth? They would go to Sam's Club and just go from place to place and just they'd hand them a toothpick or two and then they'd make a round, come back, get them another toothpick or two. And they'd just, man, they'd leave her, whoo, man, it's good. We didn't even pay a dime for this. Just a little taste. But can I tell you something? Bless your heart. When Jesus came into this world, he just didn't sample death. He drunk it. He drunk it to its completion. Buddy, he, he drunk uh, the, the bitter, he, he tasted the bitter death of death, and he didn't just sip it, buddy. He drank it to the last drop. He drunk every bitter ounce of death. He suffered as no man has ever suffered. He suffered mentally. He suffered physically. He suffered emotionally. He suffered spiritually. And he died for every man. That includes you and that includes me. Take the Calvinists and tell them to stick that up their theological noses. He tasted death for every man. For the bus kids, for the rich kids, for the white kids, for the black kids, for the brown kids, the red kids, the yellow kids, any kid. Jesus tasted death for every man. And because of that, we can be changed by His grace. Now I want you to go back to verse 8, and I'm going to wrap this up, and we're going to go. But go back to verse number 8. And here, here's some words I want you to consider, that last sentence. But now we see, and then here's these two words. Not yet. Not yet. 
So in other words, God gave us dominion over everything. When Adam and Eve sinned, they handed that dominion over to the devil. And God said, we don't have that back. Not yet. But bless your heart, we're going to get it back. You know why? Because of Christmas. Because that little baby came born in that manger one of these days, we're going to go back. In fact, can I tell you this? We're even going to be better than Adam was. You say, how do you mean that? Well, listen to this. All Adam had was innocence. We got righteousness. I'd take righteousness over innocence any day of the week. Adam was just innocent. Because of Jesus, we're declared to be righteous. We're going to gain back all that he lost and so much more because God lowered himself, lower than the angels, became a man, was born in a manger, died on the cross, tasted death for every man, and because of that, we're actually elevated above the angels. So I'm higher than angels are. Amen. Christmas, you say Christmas is all about angels. Yep, yep, but you and I are higher than them. Those of us that are saved, we are higher than the angels. I read this week, I'm done, but how many of y'all remember, especially our older folks, some of the younger people won't remember this name, but you older folks, how many of y'all remember a comedian by the name of Jack Benny? Y'all remember him? He was crazy, wasn't he? He was always walking around, but really, when you read his story, when you read about him, he was really a very, very shy, shy, introverted kind of a person. He made people laugh because he was, he was, he was afraid. He was scared. He was shy. So he made people laugh to cover up his own shyness. Well, Jack Benny, on one occasion, saw a young lady that he wanted to ask out, but he was too shy to do it. So he came up with a clever plan. So here was his plan. He's going to ask her out. So he sent her a rose, a red rose one day with a card on it that said this, from Jack. The next day, he sent her another red rose with another card. From, in fact, he did that 10 days in a row. She finally saw him and she says, uh, why are you sending me these red roses from Jack? And he said, well, and he kind of looked down, shuffled his feet. He said, would you go out with me? And she agreed to do it several months later. They actually got married. And Jack Benny, every day of their married life, sent her a rose, a red rose with a card that no longer said, from Jack, it now said, love Jack on it. And every day until his death in 1974, he sent her a red rose, love Jack. Well, he died in 1974. They had his funeral. The next day, funeral was over. She was in her house. Doorbell rang. She went to the door. There stood the florist with a red rose and a card that said, Love Jack. She burst into tears. She said, Haven't you heard? My husband died. We had his funeral yesterday. There won't be any more roses. He said, What you don't know is your husband, before he died, had it arranged where you would receive one red rose and a card that said, Love Jack, for the rest of your life. She burst into tears. And when she gathered and composed herself, he said this, Ma'am, he wanted you to know 
that nobody has ever loved you like He loves you. Now, I told you that story to tell you this. I know how the devil is because the devil sometimes jumps up here on the shoulder and he says, nobody loves you. I mean, he'll tell you this. Your wife don't even love you. Your dog don't even love you. Your chickens won't even come out when you go see them. Nobody cares about you. Nobody loves you. And God in a cradle in Bethlehem said, I'm doing this so you'll know nobody has ever loved you like God loves you. You may die and you may go to hell unsaved and you will if you're unsaved. But you hear me and hear me well. Nobody will ever die and go to hell unloved because nobody's ever loved you like God loves you. And that is the message of Christmas. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Christmas in unusual places. Father, I pray this morning.